0: And these words just resonate in my ears over and over and over again. It's the last part of that chorus. This is life we've been given, made to be lived out. So live out loud. Welcome to the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast. And this has been an interesting week. I almost didn't do one. Uh, This one may not be very long. But something's just really been boiling over in my mind. Um, as a pastor, we deal with death a lot. We deal with a lot of death. We deal with a lot of hurt. We deal with a lot of anger. We deal with a lot of frustration. And um, a lot of things come to mind. I want to talk about that today. I want to, you know, this is the emotions podcast. I guess I don't know. Uh, The reality simply is this. I mean, when you're dealing with someone who's grieving and you recognize the situations they're going through, but in it you also sometimes deal with your own uh, hurts and struggles and frustrations as well. Um, But it's the whole process. You know, let's talk about dying. Let's talk about death, but let's talk about the two different forms today number one uh, you know I think about we we don't ever want to talk about death we want to talk about life we want to talk about the life that we have right and it reminds me of the song Stephen Curtis Chapman live out loud Uh, if you've not heard it stop go listen to it but the words is like imagine this I get a phone call from Regis says do you want to be a millionaire they put me on the show and I win with two lifelines to spare now picture this if I act like nothing ever happened, bury all the money in a coffee can. But I've been given more than Regis ever gave away. And, and the chorus is talking about us living out loud. Is wake the neighbors, get the word out. Crank up the music, climb a mountain, and shout. And then these words just resonate in my ears over and over and over again. It's the last part of that chorus. This is life we've been given, made to be lived out. So live out loud. And that hit me. Thinking about this week. You know. Thinking of another part of the song. He says every corner of creation is a living declaration. Come join the song we were made to sing. And and I think about those words. And that if you don't cry out the rocks will. And we look at the rocks as dead. But. As I think about the words, I realize that our lives are meant to be lived loudly live out loud, live that faith we're to, we're to live out loud with the Holy Spirit guiding us and as we look at this you know the 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 life that we must live out loud is not someone else's. I can't live for you. You can't live for me. Mom and dad can't live for you or me. You know, your grandparents can't live for us. Siblings can't live for us. Our spouses, our children, they can't live for us. We have to live ourselves and it has to be loudly. It has to be lived out. No one can live your life out loud for you. And we get comfortable in this life that we have, we get content, we sit back, we watch the world pass by, and there's this reality that we're meant to share the gospel. Now, I mentioned that this is going to, I said, let's talk about death. We'll get there. But I want to talk about life first, because to understand death, we must understand life. You know, we're, we're to live out loud. But well, I want to I read what Paul writes to the Ephesian church. In, in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians um, about this. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedience. In the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time. Now, that's one type of dead, but it's living dead. Now, I talked about two types of or the the type of death. We'll talk about death. There's this death. We die in life. You know, it's a, it's appointed once for all men to die. Right. But then there's this other death that we fail to talk about a lot. This is the death that we live out loud. This is the place that. Changes us from death into life. We are living dead. Verses 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses. We've been living a spiritually dead life. We are fully enveloped in a life that is far from what God wants for us, but we've been made alive in Christ. We were fully dead, but we've been made alive in Christ fully dead but made alive in Christ. How does Paul arrive at this assessment? Well, if we look at Genesis, God is the source of life, the only source of life. All life on this earth started with God. And the only way to truly experience life is relationship with the one who created it, right? Life outside of that relationship is death. Outside of a relationship that brings life Is death. There are those two options. But outside of a relationship with God. Who is the creator of life. We have nothing. If we don't know the one who creates life. Then we don't know life. How can we find life if we don't know him. If our life is separated from God. Then that is a dead life. We are living dead. Look, the context for this lifelessness in in the church is the sins in which they take residence, sin in their home. You know, that, that little word in. That's in that verse. You were dead in your trespasses. You've made your home there, your trespasses and your sins. You have made your home in a sinful lifestyle. It's where they eat, they sleep, they live That little word in Is our life It's everything We're we're making our life in That But to make your life in that What does that mean? Well if you're making your life In sin in trespasses, in death, then you're dead. It's where you eat, sleep, and live. I I saw, uh, I believe it was Ernest Best gave a statement about that verse, uh, thinking it was in a commentary, but it said, a realized eschatological conception of death. A realized eschatological conception of death. What does that mean? Okay, let's explain that for you today if you don't understand. It means that death, the end result of life, lived outside of a relationship with God, has invaded and permeated the present. It means that sin has caused both death and it has also provided evidence of a spiritual death. Meaning sin, people's relationship with with God has been severed. It's been broken because they're powerless to change anything because they are dead in sin. It means that we've tried to find life in ourselves and in our own desires. And in the process, we have cut ourselves off from life itself. Does that make sense? Think about the sixth sense, you know, in the sixth sense and, and spoiler alert, if you've never seen it, but you've had plenty of time, uh, You've got the young boy who continues to say, I see dead people. Only they don't know they're dead. That is life. Think about it. You see dead people every day. Only those that don't know they are dead and alive in Christ are dead and they don't know it. We see dead people around us every day. You know, it's it's a a scary thought to put it in those terms, right? But in Revelation twenty one eight, Revelation twenty one eight says this to us today. The cowards, the faithless, detestable murderers, sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death second death. Well you've got your physical death. Look there's something about this second death. Now, I'm going to go deeper in that, but you got to understand uh, we got to get there first. Now, the text is not addressing only the evil sinners. It's not addressing only those that are vile and evil. You know, the the serial killers, the mass murderers, the 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 sins that we like to glorify right now. But we, we put things on a pedestal uh, and we think, well, these are worse than these. And, and we like to, you know, go through the sins of this world that we commit and we like to rank them because we want to say, well, I'm not as bad as this guy. So, you know, I'm not as bad as the the Hitler or the Dahmer or, you know, the, the those that we hear about, and we see and, and all of these things. The Mansons, you know. <laughs> As Christians, we like to transfer sinner talk to those who are heinous offenders. But the text addresses it for us. As for you, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. That is a very direct statement to an individual almost saying you were dead you sinned you did this you followed the ways of the world we are not insulated from this assessment here even religious people can be dead in sin remember what jesus told the pharisees in matthew 23:27 woe to you teachers of the law and the pharisees you hypocrites you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Or maybe in Revelation 3, 1 and 2, the words of Christ to the church of Sardis. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen that What remains and is about to die for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Wait, what? You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. How many people do we know in this world today? Probably not because they have a reputation of being alive, but are dead in their sins. How many of us? hearing this or me included in this statement how many of us are guilty of this we have a reputation of being alive everyone praises us but we know the truth we know who we are remember that accountability thing that we've talked about before yeah we have to be accountable for those sins even if the world doesn't know the sins we have a reputation for being alive but we are dead there's a a biblical statement about spiritual deadness and it it may not seem to square with the facts right lots of people who make no christian profession whatsoever who even openly repudiate jesus appear to be very much alive right we see people around us all day they they seem very much alive their life is is um I want to say vivacious, I'm not sure that's the right word, but they are living to the fullest, you know, those statements that the world likes to throw at us, living my best life, look, you might look around you and see the vigorous body of an athlete, or the lively mind of a scholar, or that personality of a a film star, Uh, you know, the the vivaciousness of that, Uh, are we to say that such people if Christ has not saved them are dead one word yes <laughs> yes we are because in the in the in the grand scheme of what matters supremely which is not the body or the mind or the personality it's the soul in the soul they have no life they are dead and you can see it you can tell it you can listen to the things they're saying it's empty You can listen to the conversations they're having, the praise that they seek, but it's empty praise. They are seeking, and and there's just this emptiness about it. What sin hangs over you like a death shroud? What sin are you going through? What sins are hanging over you so much? Each of us is guilty of giving a life of disobedient rebellion against God. We're guilty of giving God less than he deserves. We're guilty of attempting to push him out of the picture. God can help us through all these things, you know, and, and we do this with others as well. Somebody can help us for days, days upon days upon days. And in one moment, all of that can be destroyed because one thing can go wrong and we immediately push them out and we tell them, I have no need for you anymore because you couldn't help me in this moment of hurt. You couldn't help me in this situation or that situation. We push them out. Whatever good exists within us without God is a short-term illusion. It doesn't alter the decomposition of our souls in death. As we reject the authority of God in our lives, we have willingly chosen to find ourselves under the yoke of Satan. When we reject God, we are willingly accepting Satan's authority in our lives this ruler of the air he has control of the godless domain and people choose a tyrant instead of the God who created them now I could go into some of the commentaries um, there's a lot of commentaries that talk about how uh, many times people as a they try to explain sin as the direct result of demonic activity. It's very prevalent within the Jewish culture, but the devil made me do it is not an agreement. It's not where we should rest. If I'm saying the devil made me do it, what does that mean by emphasizing his role? It is emphasizing my own relationship with him. If I'm constantly saying, well, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil made me do it. Then who has control over my life? Paul does not see sin as directly inspired by demons, but thinks that the world is pervaded with the devil's less direct influence. The devil is not the marquee player. Most of us do evil well enough on our own. We don't need the devil to make us do it. Paul does see a threat here, but he's more concerned with the fact that people have aligned themselves with the ruler of the world than them being overpowered by him. He doesn't overpower us. It's an alignment. We are in agreement with him. We are working with him. This is why he goes on to say that we are those guilty of gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and thoughts of it. He's not saying the devil made you do it. He's saying you are fulfilling your own sinful nature. You are fulfilling your own desires, your own thoughts. You're doing this. He pointed out that we are responsible, not the devil. If we sin, who pays the price? Well, if we've lived in accordance to the devil, we do. But then there's that whole thing when we have a relationship with God where Christ paid that price for us look our thought you know implicit is the thought that is without god that that without god our sinful desires are the lord in control they are i mean it it is implied here he implies that without god our sinful desire is the one in control not the devil these gratuities these we must gratify Right. The desires that we have, we gratify them, we follow them. In the end, the blame is not placed on the ruler, but on us. We have chosen to follow our desires and our society has reinforced the choice. I mean, think about it. The U.S. is completely dysfunctional there's this dysfunction going on all around us today due to sin and we see it everywhere we are completely dysfunctional due to sin but there's this promise that paul then goes farther in this text talking about that we have been restored to life through that love god has taken us from the living dead and breathed life back into us kind of like ezekiel with the dead bones in the valley Notice what Paul says here, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Christ was the expression of God's love in that grace, that kindness. He expressed that to us. You know, um, one New Testament scholar said that in the majority of occurrences in the New Testament, the verb to make alive is a synonym to raise from the dead. Man is radically dead and he can be saved only by the radical resurrection of Christ. That resurrection that happens in each one of us when we were raised from death unto life. The only way spiritually dead people can have a relationship with God is to be made alive. And God is the only person who can accomplish that, which he did through Christ. Christ defeated sin, he defeated death. He defeated sin through death And death through resurrection. It is the way that it works. And he offers life to those who are dead in their sins. Dead in their trespasses. But Paul says nothing here about Christ's death. While the resurrection is inseparable from the crucifixion, Paul doesn't mention the atoning sacrifice. He's more concerned about the ability of the resurrection to breathe life back into the souls of those who were spiritually dead in this section of scripture Paul is focused on the life not the death of the matter he says we've been saved by grace the term saved points to the idea of rescue the idea is expressed it's this pulling of a drowning child from the water as they begin to go under or the the pedestrian pushing another out of the way of a careless driver or the dislodging of food from the throat of a choking person Salvation is more than forgiveness of our sins. Salvation is being raised from the certainty of death. Redeemed from slavery to sin and rescued from the unleashed wrath of God. It's more than just, I'm glad I can sin because, well, I'm just glad I'm off the hook for these things. Folks, that's not it. Here, there is this sense of resurrection it's a rescue mission to retrieve us from the serious spiritual death that we are in. And it has come to define our condition outside of Christ. It is new life, new reason for living, breathed into the soul of those who were dead. So this passage begins with the words, but God. There's, there's text here that says, but God. but God two one syllable words set against the desperate condition of fallen humankind this initiative and sovereign action of God where we are the objects of his grace we were once the objects of death the objects of wrath but God out of the great love with which he had for us showed mercy We were dead. The dead do not rise, but God made the dead to live. We were slaves and in a situation of dishonor and powerlessness, but God has raised us up with Christ and set us at his own right hand in a position of honor and power. God has taken action to reverse our sin condition. It is essential to hold both parts of this, of this together. You know, they contrast but we need to hold them together what we are by nature and what we are by grace sinful by nature saved by grace that is in a nutshell who we are so how did it happen how did he do it how did God take us who were once dead completely lifeless and without hope into this life how did he breathe new life well he's God right There's more than that. Those final three verses tell us how Christians have had their souls reinvigorated with the power of the resurrection. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not from you. Nothing you have done has saved you. It is a gift freely given by God. It is a gift from God. Not by anything you've done so that you can't boast in it. But we are his Creation. We are his workmanship. We are that masterpiece signed, sealed, and delivered. Created in Christ to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God has prepared a life for us in Christ. And when we awaken from the dead, when he raises us up from the dead condition of sin. And raises us to life. We now have a job to live out loud, to proclaim it. It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Paul spends nearly as many words here in these verses to define how our spiritual resurrection didn't happen as he does telling us how it happened. Not from yourselves, it's from God. When, when we've been given a gift, we might say, thank you very much. What did I do to deserve this? But the answer will be nothing. You didn't do a thing. That's why it's a gift. Nothing you did earned you this gift. It was given to you. Not by works. Works refers to anything we do on this earth. Any good deed we might do. Anything that we think might gain status or privilege with God. It is not by works. Nothing we do gives us the ability to stand before God. It's what Christ did that gives us that ability today. In and of ourselves, we have no claim on God. In fact, we are absolutely incapable of doing anything that would result in God owing us a thing. We are incapable of earning God's favor. Salvation or no, nothing we do. Even if we've been saved, we're still not worthy of the grace of God. And here's the reason, so that no one can boast. It's not about us. It's not about our worth, what we have accomplished. It is about God. It is about the fact that we must boast in him. We must brag on what he's done. If you get a free gift at Christmas, if somebody gives you a Christmas gift, you're not going to go around bragging to everyone, look at what I earned myself for Christmas. No, you're going to brag about who gave it to you. Look what my mom gave me. Look what my sister gave me. Look what my spouse gave me for Christmas. There's no strings attached, no hidden cost. It cost us nothing. But this is what we learn from these phrases. Salvation is not about us. It's not about what we've done. We struggle with this pride because of our salvation. I'm in. I'm the best. I'm great. Pride breeds disdain. Pride breeds disdain pride breeds this mentality in us that anyone outside of where we believe we stand if if we think even remotely about someone that we think just doesn't have it together and is not on the same side as we are we we disassociate with them and and the reality is is if we are being prideful then we're stating our own lack of a gift, our own lack of the grace. Because if we're making it all about what we've done, if we're talking about how great of a Christian we are, how, how wonderful of a person we are, then recognize this, you've made it about you and not about Christ. Pride is just as wrong after a conversion as it is before. It's a sin. Pride is sinful before or after you have received his grace. Now, there's two phrases. By grace. It is by grace. Grace is the completely undeserved, loving commitment of God to us. So, for some reason unknown to us, it's rooted in his nature. God himself gives himself to us who was created by himself he attaches himself to us he acts to rescue us he he's like the lifeguard who swims out takes the person and pulls them in he attaches himself to us and pulls us to safety he raises us up this initiative is always on god though we can't initiate the lifeguard coming to us It is always on God. We become Christians through God's unmerited favor, not the result of any effort, ability, choice, or act of service that we make. This is why Paul includes the statement about us being still in our sin. We were in sin. It's an active word there. We didn't do anything. The initiative was all on God. He took the steps. He was the active party. He moved before we ever made a move. That's why in Romans 5:8 it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace was received through faith. Faith is relational. It's a covenant word expressing the commitment and trust that bind two parties together. It defines our reliance on a reliable God. It doesn't say so much about us. It says everything about him it is our reliance on a reliable god it means god is trustworthy god is worth living in god is worth pursuing we rely he's worth relying on why because he will never let you down for us to live out loud first we have to die to self see we must focus on living our own life Living it out loud with the help of one who gave his life for us. We cannot be silent. Why? Because even the rocks will cry out if we do. If we remain silent, the rocks will cry out. Remember, God was meant to be praised. We were not meant to be silent observers, but actively vocal. Remember the words of the song. Every corner of creation is a living declaration. Come join the song we were made to sing. Join in creation singing the song of the Savior. Now I talked about second death. I want to go back to that thought for one quick moment. And that is this. It is appointed once for a man to die and then judgment. It is appointed once for a man to die and then judgment. If you die in this world and face judgment... You know, you lived your life, you live it to the fullest, you do the thing you do, you die, you face judgment. Awaiting you is the second death. Now, before anyone jumps to a conclusion based on that statement, hear me out. If we die twice in this world, then we find the grace of God. Why? Why? Because if we die to self and we live in his grace, raised to life in Christ and live out loud what he has done for us, guess what? When we meet the end in this world, we will not die that second death again. We die to the flesh, then we die physically, but we're raised to life once again in him because we were raised to life in this life. Because we lived out loud, dying to flesh long before we met that physical death. We spiritually died, recognized it, and were raised to life again by God, initiated by him. Or you can continue to live the life you're living. It is appointed once for every man to die than judgment. But what if you die twice before judgment? Because that first death is dying to self and recognizing the Savior, being raised to life once again in Him, that when that second death comes, it really more is just a transition and a passing over into the new life of the world that comes beyond judgment in Christ, with Christ, forever. I think it's something for us to think about today. Don't get comfortable in this life and don't try to live someone else's. It's not for you to live their life. Live yours and live it out loud. I told you we were talking about death today. We're talking about death in a way that brings us hope beyond the grave. It brings us opportunity beyond the grave. Are you living out loud on this world today? Or are you dead in sin? Are you dead in your trespasses? Are you continuing to live a life saying that you glorify the Lord? You may be the most religious person you know. But you might still be dead in your transgressions. You might still be dead in your sin. It's worth thinking about today. We're going to close it out in prayer. But I thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll give it consideration. You know, as we talk about death. Death's a hard thing for us to face. But if you've died to self prior to your death, you find hope in death. If, if if you have a loved one who's died to self prior to their death, they have hope in death. And you have hope for them in death. If you die to self and someone dies in your life, you have hope for them knowing that they too had died to self. That this was their second and final moving forward into eternal life with Christ. But if you know someone has struggled through life and you're not sure about whether they had died to themselves along the way. The reality simply is this. You're also not sure about what's coming next. I hate to be blunt, but it's true. Have you died to self today? Think about death in that way. Think about what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I believe it's worth thinking about today let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we could come together this way. Once again, I thank you for those who listen and who uh, apply, Lord. And, and, and Lord, I thank you that you have blessed us with an outlet like this. I, I pray that you, God, would just take our lives today. Lead us, guide us, direct us through this world. Thank you for the gift of Christ and the gift of life through Christ. Help us to remember that death is doesn't have to be our final destination but it can be for those of us that decide to live apart from you those of us that reject any gift that you've given that turn it away we're not entitled to it lord you gave it to us freely but there are many who walk through this world with no knowledge no understanding Help us to live it out loud today. Help us to live out loud for you, Lord, to share the gospel in the way that we carry ourselves. I pray that you would bless us with that. Just go with us, lead us and direct us, Lord. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with the Where the Wild Things Aren't podcast. You can join us each week. We try to get an episode up by 12 noon every Friday. and We are very blessed to be able to bring this to you. Hope that you can find peace where the wild things aren't. Listen on wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow it. Click it to download so you can get the newest episodes. And again, we thank you for listening to Where the Wild Things Aren't.